Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. All right, so if you'd all like to turn your Bibles to Genesis 45. We're going to be looking at a few verses in here, Genesis 45 and verse 8. So before we do, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being Lord, the author of this book, and not only the author of it, but the helper of us, the helper to us to understand. And so, Lord, you promised that you would, in Proverbs, pour out your spirit to us to make known your words to us. And so that's what we're praying for this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 45, verse 8. 45, verse 8. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste ye, and go up to my father. Say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. Thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen. Thou shalt be near unto me. Thou and thy children and thy children's children and thy flocks and thy herds and all that thou hast. And there will I nourish thee, for yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. Okay, now, this is such a great chapter that if we wanted to give a title to try to capture all the drama and everything that's going on in this title, in the, in the, in, as a title to this chapter, we could call this, this chapter, we could say, this is the chapter of, I am Joseph. I am Joseph. Cause everything falls from when he said that. I am Joseph. It all comes out. Or another title could be, it's the chapter of the great announcement. It's the great announcement of I am Joseph. And that, that title also, would capture this chapter and what it's all about. Because it's really an earthquake in the soul of the, of all these brothers when they heard those three simple words in verse three, I am Joseph. So it's this great announcement. What an announcement this was. I mean, this announcement, jo- Joseph made that great announcement. First of all, he made that great announcement in private. Even private in verse one, he said, cause every man to go out from me. It was imperative for Joseph, that, that there's no Egyptian. This is a private family matter. Joseph made this great announcement with tears. It says in verse two, he wept aloud. And of everything that he said, the tears spoke the loudest. It's what he didn't say that spoke the loudest because it was the tears because when the brothers saw the tears, they understood he's brokenhearted. There's, I don't see anger, I don't see vengeance. He doesn't have all that on his face. He's forgiving and that's the other part about this great announcement. He makes this announcement with forgiveness, with forgiveness when he says in verse eight, it was not you that sent me hither, but God. 
that was that has got to be the most kind way that Joseph could have possibly packaged <laughs> him being sold as a slave when he just said that, well, really, it wasn't you, God, who sent me here to do this great job of salvation in, in, in Egypt. Now, this is how Joseph made the great announcement of, I am Joseph. But then we saw how Joseph's brothers received the great announcement, and they received the great announcement with surprise, at least of which you could say in verse 3 when it says, his brethren could not answer him. They were surprised. They were stunned. This it had just, was such a shock. It just gripped them. And then they received the great announcement with alarm, with alarm. In verse 3, they were troubled at his presence. They were in a state of panic here. And, 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 and they realized, oh, the tables have turned. And now Joseph's in control and we're at the mercy of Joseph. But they also received this announcement with pain. With pain, as it says in verse 5, they were grieved. Be not grieved or angry with yourselves. Verse 5 says they were grieved. They were angry with, their, with themselves. It wasn't a typical grief and anger that you'd have from a criminal where he was saying, I'm so mad at myself. I was so stupid. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have gotten caught. You know? And if the brothers had that kind of typical grief, then they would have said something like, I knew we should have finished him off in the desert. <laughs> well, we had the chance. Now he's alive. This wasn't what their grief was. Their grief and their anger was different because it was repentance where they said, we never should have hated Joseph. We never should have done those things to him that we did. Now, when the brothers showed this grief and anger with themselves, that's repentance. And they were illustrating at this moment kind of in a prophetic way, the grief and the anger that the Jewish, that their descendants, the Jewish people are going to have when they will mourn for the Lord Jesus Christ as is described in Zechariah 12.10. Zechariah 12.10 says, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one is bitterness for his firstborn. Now, when it says those words, that they shall mourn for him, for, mourn for him whom they have pierced, it actually says that they shall, it says they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him. When it says that, when it says that they shall mourn, it really means they shall mourn for the Lord Jesus as one mourns for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. You've never seen anything until you've been to a Jewish funeral, especially for a firstborn. You ever been to one? Oh, you know, you don't want to be there. And, and, and this is the kind of mourning that's going to take place. Just like the brothers they're not going to be saying to themselves in this future date, oh, our fathers should have put two stones in front of that tomb to keep them from rising from the dead. That's not what they're going to do. They're going to be just like the brothers. They're going to be in grief. They're going to be in anger with themselves. And it's going to be a mourning for the Lord Jesus like the brothers. It's a mourning of, 
oh, how we hated the Lord Jesus. And, 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 and they're going to see we were one in spirit with our fathers who mistreated him. That's why it says, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. You know, when it says that, it's such a dramatic thing in Zechariah 12.10. The people who are going to look upon him were not the actual ones who pierced him. It's going to be thousands of years, we know, after that. But they're going to say on that day, they're going to see the crucifixion like they never saw it before. Because they're not going to see the crucifixion as something like, well, that was our fathers, it wasn't us who did that, who delivered the Lord to the Romans. They're not going to say, they're not going to say, oh, well, the Romans were responsible for his crucifixion. They're going to see themselves as responsible for his crucifixion. Even though their fathers delivered them, even though the Romans drove the nails in, they're going to take ownership for the crucifixion when it says they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And that's the way that every lost sinner has got to view the crucifixion. Not as what others did to him, not as what, as what oh, well, they did that to him. Because they're going to see, as every sinner must see, it's my sins that crucified him. It's my transgressions that bruised him. It's my iniquities that wounded him. See, it's all this my, my, my part that you really get in Isaiah 53, 5. In Isaiah 53, 5, where it says, he was wounded for our transgressions. That's ownership. He was bruised for our iniquities. That's ownership. And this is the meaning here of Isaiah 53, 5. When a person really comes to salvation, they embrace the word our, and it becomes, that's mine. They take ownership. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And when it becomes personal salvation, then the hour turns to my. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. And that's what every lost sinner must do, is embrace the word hour and make it my. In Isaiah 53, 5, take ownership for being responsible for the crucifixion. And that's what the Jewish people will do. And that's when a nation is born in a day, and that's when all Israel is saved, when they take ownership for the crucifixion of Zechariah 12.10. Zechariah 12.10, they're taking ownership like every sinner must do for causing the crucifixion when it says, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And that's what must be done by every person who's to be saved. He must look at the Lord Jesus on the cross and say, my sins caused that. Now, also what happened is now as we picture the brothers here, just before, you know, just to kind of look at the brothers here before verse 1 or right at verse 1, and just think about how much darkness these brothers were in. They were in an old darkness, which they had for decades, for, for, for a long time, over 10 years. This was the darkness of their own personal guilt and the shame for what they did to their brother Joseph. They've been living under this cloud. They've been living in this darkness for over 10 years. But now they're in a new darkness. Now they're in a new darkness of panic because they're fearing that they're, they don't know he's Joseph yet, but they're fearing that they're going to get punished 
As Judah said, God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. So you can feel there, okay, it's all going to come down now. And that's this one word that we can use to describe the brothers, darkness. They're just in darkness. Now you look at verse 15, where Joseph is kissing them and they're kissing Joseph. And now everything has changed. There's not darkness anymore. It's a scene of light. It's a scene of light. How did that happen? How did they go from darkness to light? Through repentance, through being angry with themselves, and they came to the light of being forgiven, of being reconciled. But all of this darkness to light all happened from three words, the great announcement, I am Joseph. That's when the darkness turned to light with the announcement of I am Joseph. This is an illustration of what happens to every person whose life goes from darkness to light when they turn to God and they hear God say, I am Jesus. And they realize God loves me. God died for my sins. And they receive him, the Lord Jesus, as God and Savior. And that's when the darkness turns to light. And those were the three words that caused the darkness to turn to light in Paul's life. In Acts chapter 9, verse 5, when he heard the words, when he said, who art thou, Lord? And he heard the three words, I am Jesus. Just like they heard the words, I am Joseph. But the only way, the only way that there could have been a reconciliation, which there was, between Joseph and his brothers, was because the first move came from Joseph. Not from the brothers, that's for sure. It was Joseph who took the initiative with those words, I am Joseph, but even more in verse 4 when he said, come near to me, come near to me. See, if Joseph had not taken that first step, then there would be no reconciliation. Joseph took the first step, and what the brothers did was just respond to Joseph's initiative when he said, come near to me, and that's why there was a reconciliation, And that's an illustration for us of how there could be a reconciliation between us and God. How could we become friends with God? Just like the brothers, the only reason we can be reconciled to God was because the Lord Jesus took the initiative. He took the initiative like in Isaiah 53. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Isaiah 53, 4. The next verse, Isaiah 55, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The next verse, Isaiah 53, 6, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So he's done all this work. He's taken all this initiative. He's done the work of atonement. And then he made the verse 4, Joseph invitation, the offer where Joseph says, come near to me. The Lord Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Matthew eleven twenty eight, come unto me, all ye that labor and a heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Now, <clears throat> since we're talking about reconciliation here, we're talking about relationships in this passage, there's an interesting relationship that kind of like surfaces in the middle of all of this, having really nothing to do with Joseph and his brothers, but it's interesting. You can't help but pass it up where it says in verse 8, so, you know, he says in verse 8 that God hath made him a father to Pharaoh. Now, kind of wondered about it, the relationship between Joseph and Pharaoh. I mean, since the time that Joseph 
interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. We really didn't know anything about the ongoing relationship, you know, between, between Pharaoh and Joseph. I mean, we saw how impressed Pharaoh was with Joseph when he said in, in uh, chapter 48, 38, 41, 38, 41, 38, when he said, Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such a one as this, as this is, a man in whom the spirit of God is? So we wondered when we, when we read that, if Pharaoh said, okay, he's a great man. He's going to take care of all the food needs and in Egypt, he's got the spirit of God. So, so, so that's great. And he, you know, we wondered if he just said, you know, I, I found my man. So Joseph, here you go. Take control. I'm going to the beach. You know, I'll be down there in Shark El Sharam or whatever it's called there. And, and, and you run the company and, and we won't see much of each other because uh, I'm going to spend my time down there on the beach. Everything's under control. That doesn't appear to be the case because in verse eight here, it says that God made him a father to Pharaoh. So it appears that the relationship between Joseph and Pharaoh was close. It was special where they became close friends, and Joseph became a counselor to, to Pharaoh. Now, okay, so that's what happened between Pharaoh and Joseph. Now, as soon as Joseph had reconciled with his brothers, he now directs them to go down to his father, and he says, be quick about it, in verse 9. Verse 9, haste ye, go up to my father, say unto him, thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt, come down unto me, tarry not. So he says, go ahead, go down there and, and be fast. So it, it, it just looks like Joseph seems to know his brothers pretty well. And he knows that they have a tendency to become sidetracked. Not that any of us become sidetracked, but he's what he has. So he's thinking to himself, you know, I know my brothers. And now they've known that, 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 I, that their brother, that I'm their ruler in Egypt. I can sort of picture them just walking out there and saying all to my servants, hey, I'm his brother. Now you got to do what I tell you to do. You know? And he can get a picture of his brother sort of like relaxing, enjoying Egypt and saying, what's the rush? You know, this is more like it. So, so Joseph kind of gets really strong with them in verse 9 when he says, hasty. In other words, get on the road. Get on with the, get on the road. In other words, he's in, and he tells them at the end of verse 9, come down unto me and tarry not. So he, he's afraid also that once they get home with all that Joseph's going to send with them, that they'd say, well, now what's the rush to get back on that, that dusty road and go back down there to Egypt? We've got so much here. Nothing is going to really change. We're here. Joseph is there. No one's going anywhere. Let's just relax. No need to pack up everything moved down there to Egypt. And, and, and so this is what Joseph is afraid of. So he's strongly exhorting his brothers to get home fast and come back fast with everyone. And so Joseph now, he tells them, when you go home, I've got a special message for dad. i got a special message for, for, for our father. And, and a special message starts off in verse 9 with the words, Thus saith thy son Joseph. Now, you can think how those words must have sounded to Jacob. Thus saith thy son Joseph. What is this, a voice from the dead? I mean, I mean, you know, this has got to be, 
It's been over 10 years. He's thought that Joseph is dead. And all of a sudden, he gets these words, Thus saith thy son Joseph. I mean, as later he would say, he talked about this in uh, Genesis 48.11, Genesis 48.11, where it says, Israel said unto Joseph, I had thought to not see thy face. I had not thought to see thy face. And so this is what Jacob was thinking. I had not thought to see thy face. He's going to hear the words, thus saith thy son Joseph. So he, he, because he was convinced that his son said murder Joseph. He just, he, he, that's what he thought. And, and, and it's just like the disciples when they heard from the Lord Jesus, just like the disciples. And he said in Revelation 1, 8, 18, run it, Revelation 1, 18, the Lord Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore and, and have the keys of hell and death. So as far as Jacob was concerned, Joseph was dead. But now he hears, thus saith thy son Joseph. And the first message that Joseph wants to send to his father is that, in verse 9, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. So before any other message, this is what he wants to tell him. This is the most important message that Joseph made to make sure that his father Jacob heard that Joseph was Lord of all Egypt. He was Lord of all Egypt. So Jacob, it, it, Jacob has been, is, been filled with this fear. What happened to my son? What happened to Joseph? I mean, that's what's been going through his mind. And, and, and this would be the message that would bring to Jacob the greatest peace, the greatest assurance, the greatest joy, this message that Joseph is Lord of all Egypt. And, and that's why Joseph put such a high priority on this message that had to be the first words that Jacob hears. Joseph is Lord of all of Egypt. Now, that's an illustration for us of the most important message that we can hear before anything else that Jacob must hear that the Lord, that, that, that Jacob must hear that Joseph is Lord of all Egypt. We must hear that the Lord Jesus is Lord of all. We've got to hear that. And that's why, that's why as a rule, that's why as a rule, you know, I don't call the Lord Jesus. I don't, I don't call him Jesus. I don't call him Jesus Christ. I don't call him Christ as a rule. But I always say, I always call him the Lord Jesus Christ, to put emphasis on this message in verse 9, on our heavenly Joseph, as Joseph put in verse 9, God hath made me ruler, the Lord of all Egypt. Now, when Joseph sends this message back to Jacob in verse 9, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt, we could ask the question, what did he mean that God made Joseph ruler of all Egypt. I mean, was Joseph just in charge of just agriculture and food? Was he just the minister of agriculture there? I mean, how far did his authority extend? And the answer to that was what? Entire Egypt. His authority extended as far as Pharaoh said in Genesis 41, 44, Genesis 41, 44, where Pharaoh put it this way. Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, without thee shall no man lift his foot or his hand. No man shall lift his hand or his foot.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Do you have fatigue or trouble getting out of bed or just getting through the day? Are you so tired you can't focus? Do you feel like your life is drained away? Do you have fibromyalgia headaches? I have good news for you. Our doctors at Scanabody's Imaging and Therapy can give you cellular ozone therapy. Why not get your energy back now by calling us at 1-888-529-9016 or visit us at treatmyfatigue.com. 